You're listening to the Law Careers Net podcast, a monthly podcast designed to give you everything you need to know about becoming a lawyer. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Law Careers Net podcast. This is Bethany, your host, and I'm excited to be bringing you another episode this month. I am really excited about this episode. I first met our guest at our Law Careers Net Live conferences a couple of years ago. There's more about Law Careers Net Live in a moment. And it was so fantastic to see someone talk about their area of expertise and their practice area with such genuine passion and excitement. So it was a pleasure to sit down with Caroline Bush, Senior Associate at Osborne Clark, to have a chat all about her work in environmental law. We spoke about how she got to where she is and the big changes and initiatives she's been a part of, which includes things such as net zero, decarbonisation, voluntary carbon offsetting and biodiversity net gain. It is such an interesting and important part of the law, so I hope you enjoy listening to that conversation. Before we get into it, however, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder about our Law Careers Net Live events that I mentioned a moment ago. These immersive legal careers conferences are taking place physically in Manchester on the 26th of November and London on the 3rd of December, as well as virtually from the 7th to the 8th of December. So if you want to meet firms face-to-face, find out what it's like to work in a commercial law firm, network, take part in panel discussions and interactive firm-led workshops, then apply before the 28th of October. There is all the information you need on the website, that's live.lawcareers.net, including what we're looking for in applications, hint, it's the same as the law firm, and the full list of law firm sponsors and programmes. Okay, over to my conversation with Caroline. So hi Caroline, welcome to the Law Careers Net podcast, thank you very much for coming on. Um, would you like to start by introducing yourself, perhaps a bit about your career journey as well? Yes, of course. Thank you so much, Bethany. It's really lovely to be on here today. So my name is Caroline Bush and I am currently a senior associate at Osborne Clark based in their Bristol office. Um, I am an environmental lawyer, so I'm in our environmental team looking at all sorts of things you probably imagine. So that could be assisting DD for due diligence, that is, with big corporate clients. Um, maybe they're buying a company and that company does something which is a permitted activity. So we would help just check that all the permits are in place. Um, we might, I might also help one of our real estate clients, for example, they're buying some land. We need to check that there are no environmental liabilities associated with it. And I guess regulatory advice as well. So maybe one of our clients works in a, in a for example, there's, there's the wonderful, uh, wonderfully named WE directive, which is the Waste Electrical and Electronic Equipment Directive. Um, and that's all around things like batteries and what, or what companies do with it. Um, so we we'd provide regulatory advice. Um, and then finally, and, and I think most most interestingly, and uh, I guess something that's happened really quite recently is all around sustainability, climate change, net zero. And that's something that our clients are massively interested in. So that's kind of what I do today. A little bit you asked about my career journey. So I actually studied French um, at Bristol many years ago now. Then I actually did, uh, I worked in publishing for a bit, um, for a year, and then in an independent bookshop. So quite an unusual route, I guess. Uh, And then I thought, well, actually, law sounds quite interesting. So I retrained and then was lucky enough to get a training contract at Osborne Clark. I started Osborne Clark as a trainee in 2012, qualified in 2014, 
actually, I started doing some construction law as well, energy law and environmental law, but have gradually kind of focused into environmental law, which was, if I'm honest, the thing I was probably most interested in from the outset. But I think it's been really helpful for me to have a slightly broader route to environmental Mm. law, because actually energy law, construction law, there are lots of synergies. So I think it's, it's really good to have that breadth. Of, of introduction, I guess, to the area. It's definitely not not been a disadvantage in some ways. Great. Um, there's so much I want to ask you. I don't even know where to begin. Um, but I guess I think we could probably start with, um, I'm quite interested in you saying, obviously, a big thing we're going to talk about today is your work with sustainability and those things that you mentioned. But you said that um, this is kind of a recent, a more recent growing area. And I wonder if you could talk about the kind of changes that you've seen and, you know, why it's growing, how it's growing since you started. Yeah, of course. And it is, I mean, it is a fascinating area and it's something we're also aware of. And I think it's it's probably worth saying we're all more aware of it, probably because the media is more aware of it. And it is almost daily there are stories about, about climate change, net zero targets, COP26, of course, at the moment, which is in Glasgow in about a month. So I think what's been really interesting, I guess, for, from a lawyer's perspective, is that there's still not that much regulation. So obviously our bread and butter is what we call black letter law so 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 law and reg- regulation in this country and that's usually what drives clients interests in all sorts of areas of law because clearly they have to comply with law because otherwise they might be in breach of a law or you know be, be liable to be prosecuted whatever it might be so that's historically what we would be expected to advise on what's been really interesting here is that it's actually kind of, it's almost a market-driven interest for our clients. So you could look at investors. So investors are very interested in an area called ESG, which is environmental social governance. And that's, it's not just environment, but I think a lot of companies have been dealing with the S, which is social, so that might be HR, you know, how they treat their employees, those kind of things, and governance, which is how a company is run. That's kind of been looked at quite a lot more historically by companies. And I think the E is becoming much more pressing, I guess, and something that companies maybe haven't focused on so much. And that's, as I say, investor-driven. So many companies obviously are reliant on money from investors for various things to to be able to operate. So I think that pressure has really increased increased the heat, I guess, turned up the heat for our clients around environmental responsibility, if you will. So that's one area which is really, or one, one kind of, I guess, stakeholder, which is really driving the agenda for our clients. Another one is consumers. So many of our clients might have products that they're selling to consumers. And I think the consumer appetite for sustainability for, for example, in fashion, many of the big high street names are now promoting kind of green fashion lines, be it sustainable cotton, um, you know, taking back clothes, actually recycling. So I think that's something that is also a massive pressure. And many companies who aren't doing that are, are simply losing consumers, losing customers. So that's clearly hitting their bottom line. And then NGOs, kind of environmental campaigning groups, are also making making a difference. Um, there was a recent case, for example, in, in The Hague, um, in the Netherlands, where Shell was actually kind of forced to tighten its net zero target by a court finding that was the result of a case brought by an NGO, for example. And then finally, I think internally within the company, employees are becoming more engaged in this in this area and, and also kind of shareholders and directors even. So I think there's there are many, many factors which are pressurizing companies, I guess, to focus on this. And unusually for us, we're being asked to help strategically in an area where currently 
there isn't that much regulation. Now, there's no doubt that it's very likely that regulation will come in more. There is some environmental reporting regulation um, already in place and um, something called the Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosures is starting to bite on the biggest companies. So again, I think that's going to become much more of an issue for companies. But in brief, it's just a really fascinating area that our clients now coming to us for advice. What are we seeing in the market, for example? Whereas actually there's not, there's not a kind of a a main regulation that we can point to and say, well, this is what you have to do. It's a really interesting area. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. When when a when a client comes to you and says, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's investor-driven or consumer-driven, we we need to do more or we need to be kind of pushed in this direction. What what do you do? Do you have kind of sit down and make a plan of action with them? No, it's a really good question and it's it does depend on the company. So you'd have to kind of understand where their board is at. And because some boards of directors are very sophisticated, there are many of our clients who are now appointing what what they often call chief sustainability officers. And I think one of the things we're finding is that chief sustainability officer might already have a day job. And this suddenly, this title is suddenly being given to them as an addition to their day job. And they're having to find time to tackle what is a really quite complex range. It's not just a single question. There can be all sorts of things I have to look at, you know, their supply chain, how how green is their supply chain? What are they doing? What are their internal processes around sustainability? Do they have a sustainability policy, for example? So it can be a massive undertaking. And one thing we can do is support so that 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 person or even you know a team just to make sure that they are aware of of where there potentially are regulatory requirements. So um, a kind of environmental claims is a good example. What, what some people get might call greenwashing. You can't get away with making claims anymore, which you can't substantiate. So that's an area where there is law, for example, where we've got experts who can who can help clients on that. So often, I guess in our role, people might come to us because we're the environment team. We've, we've got a kind of expertise in that area, but actually we might often point them in the direction of, for example, in that, in that example, um, one of our commercial team who specializes in that area. But what we can also, we can also present to the board, for example, if they're interested in, in um, going for a net zero target, for example, we can help them with what's happening in the market, what they might need to think about, do they need to, well, they must really put in interim targets. They can't just say we're going to be net zero by 2040 without saying what they're going to be doing at you know, 2030 or thinking at least about what they're going to be doing at 2030. So I think we see ourselves in a kind of a, I guess we're, we're strategically advising clients. We don't have all the answers, but we can say to them, well, have you thought about this? Have you have you looked at that piece of, you know, regulation? There's this government consultation, for example, obviously consultations often end up in some form of regulation or other down the line and look at what legislation is coming that we know about. The Environment Bill is a clear, is a, is a obvious one. Again, there it might not be, it might not impact on many of our clients directly, but there's something within that called the biodiversity, called biodiversity net gain. And that's all about the development industry. So house builders and other developers um, evidencing 10% biodiversity net gain in their development. So that's an example of something where it's not yet law, but we can say to them, look, this is coming in a, probably around about two years, just over. You, you, you're really going to need to prepare for this. And actually, the, the more you do, the earlier on, the better you will be so it's kind of anticipating where those where those pinch points will come and helping clients prepare themselves as best they can 
shall we define some terms? Because you sent me a, a nice long list of things that you work on. I'm not sure I 100% know what they all mean either. And I thought that might be helpful for our listeners as well, because there's kind of lots of terms and phrases that I guess are coming up as well. So what does net zero mean? So net zero basically means that what you are emitting in carbon emissions, um, so that could be by the electricity you use in your office, if you're, if you're a business, or the or, or heating, heating, you know, maybe that's in heating in your office, or also um, the kind of transport costs, people flying to meetings across the world. So those that, that footprint, that's your carbon footprint, that's what you are emitting. And what net zero means is that you are, ideally, you have reduced your carbon emissions as much as you possibly can. And any, any carbon you do continue to emit, you offset. And that could be by contributing to, there are various companies, you'll have seen it when you book a flight. Um, if, well, now we can fly again, you can. As long as you can tick a box saying, I want to you know, offset my carbon. Could be, so some companies plant trees on your behalf, or you are investing in some other, you know, actually a lot of carbon is sequestered, so kind of held by peat, for example. So you can be contributing to a company that's, that's maintaining and, and making sure peat is operating, kind of, it's not covered by stuff or drying out which is actually the main problem with peat so essentially net zero is you have as i say ideally reduced your carbon emissions to as far as you are possibly able anything you are unable to reduce you offset by investing in projects that are offsetting carbon and your when you your net zero target is the date by which you have achieved that you know that your zero your carbon emissions are, are effectively zero and that all falls under the term of decarbonization yeah, I mean, decarbonization, I don't know the origin of that term, but I guess as the name, as the word suggests, you are decarbonizing your operation. So, so you are taking carbon out of your operations as far as possible. Um, so, yeah, they're very, they, they obviously stem from the same, uh, the, the same ambition, I guess. And you mentioned earlier as well, just to be clear, biodiversity net gain. What exactly does that mean? So this is one of a, my personal my personal pet <laughs> project. Um, I, I, I love it because one of my focuses really is on biodiversity and biodiversity net gain. So at the moment within the planning system, there's a concept of what's called no net loss, which basically means when you build a new development, you have to show that you're not going to be if that development is not going to be to the detriment of wherever you're building it so if you're doing harm you're kind of making sure you're you're mitigating that harm elsewhere what is changing is no net loss so basically the the bar is at zero is going to be no actually you have to evidence that you through your development are going to be increasing the biodiversity of that site by 10 percent or more and you can achieve that in uh, three ways um, this is this is as set out in the Environment Bill, which isn't law yet, but is anticipated to become law soon. So the Environment Bill provides for what's called on-site gain. As the name suggests, it's on the development site itself. You're able to set aside land, uh, which will which you will show, and you'll work with a technical consultant to show that that will achieve 10% net gain. Or off-site, which is in the local same local area, you use a different site, which for some developers may be more feasible, um, and achieve that 10% net gain there. Or the third option, which is likely to be priced quite expensively to deter people from just going for the easy way out, is buying what's called concert, um, well credits, essentially. Um, so that will be money that's paid to the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State will have to use it for biodiversity net gain somewhere, um, but it's essentially buying your way out of the obligation. You'll have to show the 10% net gain you're achieving uh, when you submit your planning application. So when you're going through the planning process. 
And you have to also maintain that for at least 30 years. So you can't just plant a load of trees and then chop them down at year five. Um, so it's quite, it's quite onerous. Many of our clients are already putting plans in place. So for example, they're analyzing their land holding. Many, many developers will have a large quantity of land, not all yet developed. So obviously they can think, well, actually that land is really good for biodiversity net gain. Maybe we'll keep that, not build on it, and then use that to achieve 10% net gain for for our other developments in the area. But it's something that we, that we we expect to see um, a lot of clients coming to us for assistance with because it's it's impacting on our development clients. There are also opportunities, clearly, if you if you happen to be a, a landowner, you might well be able to use, you know, offer to a local developer the use of your land for offsite gain. So really, it really interesting, but but still in its infancy, really. And I guess that links to your kind of previous work in construction a bit as well, kind of ties together. Yes, exactly. And I think that's the interesting thing. It's because I guess, and you know, just generally, I think people sometimes worry about not specialising in their careers early enough. Um, and I definitely didn't. But nowadays, when I see a, an environmental consultant's appointment come over my desk, I don't kind of jump away in horror because it's not a document I'm familiar with. It's a document I helped negotiate when I was doing construction work so and I think the construction contracts are not massively comp you know, well I didn't do them for many years so I would say they're not massively complex but the, the you have to have had some experience of them to understand how they all fit together and what a collateral warranty is for example and I guess because of my experience in construction law I've got I've had that I've had that I've got some of that knowledge so I think that's actually a really important point that you can really benefit from having a broader practice initially if if that's what you're interested in I, I enjoy, enjoyed it not everyone would and now a short message from our podcast sponsor the University of Law the University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment focused experience honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice as soon as you begin your studies with the University of Law, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills, so your career starts from day one. Find out more about studying at the University of Law with the link in the podcast description. How is the law changing then in this in this era? You mentioned the environmental bill, which is isn't coming in yet but should be coming in and will that really impact your work and kind of what, what your clients are wanting from you? Yeah I think so I mean so the Environment Bill is a result of Brexit um, so leaving the EU because all of our core environmental obligations were, were in EU law so although a lot of EU law kind of was brought into the UK and it's since being amended I think the government felt that this was a really good opportunity to really focus on I guess our environmental regulation and and bring in a meaningful act um you know piece of legislation that would I, I think they wanted to make sure that to, they wanted to showcase what the what's important for the UK from an environmental perspective and doubtless there will be big impacts on our clients there's quite a lot in there around um I mean, you could, you could call it the circular economy. So minimizing, um, you know, waste products. So making sure that plastics and packaging are dealt with in a, in a, a, a sustainable way. There are going to be, there are quite stringent emissions targets, so air pollution um, around you know, fine particulate matter, which again could impact that's very much looking at the transport industry. And obviously a lot of our clients will rely on 
transport to get their goods from A to B. So that's another potential area. A lot of, so the environment bill, I think I could describe as a framework and exactly the finer detail of how it will impact on our clients from a day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis is not absolutely fixed yet. And biodiversity net gain, I think is a good example of some of an area where that, that it is quite clear now how that will impact on our clients, but other areas I think still remain to be seen. But I think to say that it's a really exciting time to be in environmental law is an understatement. Can you tell us a bit about your work in the decarbonisation team at OC? Because I know just before we started recording, you said you been doing some interesting and exciting work with that recently. Yes, of course. And I should have said, actually, when we mentioned decarbonisation earlier, it's a general term. But I think what we've done at OC is we've adopted it as part of what we call our 3D client strategy. So there are three limbs to that. I won't go into too much detail because it's uh, you know more than we've got time to do today. But digitalization, de- decarbonisation and urban dynamics. So it's re- very much what the strategy is aimed at is really thinking, OK, from a client perspective, what are the what are the key things they need to be thinking about? And those are the, those are the three we came you know, was decided to be focused on. So I've been very involved from the outset in decarbonisation, and what we are using that strategy for is to talk to our clients essentially and to say, look, this is an area we're particularly focused in. We've got lots of expertise in. Can we have a discussion with you? Can we have a an open discussion as to where you see yourselves on on your decarbonisation journey? Within decarbonisation as well, I should say, there are four separate streams. So that's looking at sustainable infrastructure, um, sustainable transport, sustainable finance, and then the stream I co-lead, which is called Tackling the Carbon Challenge Policy and Regulation. It's the longest title in the world, but basically it is looking at the policy and regulation around decarbonisation. So as part of that, we're doing all sorts of things. We're, as I say, having individual client conversations. We're also hosting, so what i we were talking about is a webinar we did yesterday on greening supply chains and that's part of a series we're doing um, which is it's trying to demystify some of these terms so you asked me earlier to talk about terms and as lawyers we do bandy around lots of terms and we kind of forget that normal people um, don't actually necessarily know what we're talking about so that that is a, a series of webinars we're doing um, we've also got what we call our decarbonization self-assessment so it's a free online questionnaire I think there are 12 questions and clients can go or anyone can go on and access it and say and have a bit of a think about where they are on their decarbonisation journey so it's a really exciting direction I think that Osborne Clark is is going in clients are really interested they're really keen to have these conversations and I think that's partly because this stuff a lot of this stuff particularly around decarbonisation my my experience is obviously decarbonisation it is new but it is important and I think that's it's quite it's quite a good time to have really had this as a focus because the clients are the clients want our they want to have a a conversation with someone we're not the experts but we do have experience of talking to other clients so I think we have we're really building a good awareness of the market and the direction of the market and I think that's what clients are really valuing what do you see happening in the future in this area what kind of new things I mean I guess you can't predict the future but um you know you said decarbonization is relatively new are there kind of other things under there or other areas of environmental law you think will be picking up in the future I think biodiversity might become more of a focus um not least and there's a concept now of what's called nature-based solutions which is essentially harnessing the power of nature to help us achieve to help us mitigate the impact of climate change for example because nature is amazing at recovering and actually if we start really thinking about the impact of our actions on the planet and start reducing them, then actually we might find that nature does help us to 
mitigate the, the, the worst of the damage that's been done. That's me speaking as an optimist. Um, and I think at the moment, there's very little regulation really around biodiversity. Obviously, there's you know, wildlife protection that, that goes without saying, but I think it's it's wider than that. It's really looking at what businesses can do to 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 enhance nature and to help. And it's as simple as maybe, as I mentioned earlier, kind of a wildflower meadow, you know, increasing pollinators, planting, planting trees. I know that there are many people who talk about planting trees not being the whole answer. And I I don't think planting trees on their, on its own is, is the whole answer, but there's no doubt that they do have benefits as well. So I think biodiversity is a really interesting area. And I think generally just the kind of the, the regulatory framework in this area as, as I say there's so as a as a country we've signed up to a net zero target but I think the regulation on industry for example just isn't there at the moment Gen- generally around around kind of um decarbonizing your operations and I I reckon that that's going to come and interesting it might come in the form of carrots and sticks so carrots being potentially increased subsidy and we know as part of cop 26 that a a large amount of um, public and private climate finance is being raised that's particularly to help developing countries with their climate change resilience but i I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for investors and a lot of subsidy potentially available obviously something that was in the news just this morning and it's been talked about recently is is around the kind of um and I think it was actually it was part of the Labour conference um, around retrofitting our homes to make them more sustainable. So I, so again, really big opportunity there potentially for a company who works in that area to to access some of the government finance, which might well be made available to help those changes to happen. Because there's no doubt that our homes emit an awful lot. You know, we lose a lot of heat every day because they're not sufficiently insulated, all that kind of stuff. So. I think there's there's going to be a lot of opportunity, um, and I think it's incumbent upon us, I guess, as, as lawyers in this area, to just make sure our clients know what's going on and to help them navigate what can be really quite a complex legal uh, legal playing field, I guess, to make sure they're taking advantage of the opportunities, but also complying with any regulations that might apply. So I think it's going to be pretty a pretty busy um, time ahead. If a student is listening to this thinking, this all sounds so interesting, you know, what what can they do to research into this area? What can they do? Um, how can they get into this area, I guess, in the first place? It's really interesting because I think even in my however many years, you know, nine years of being at an environment, well, working within the environment team kind of generally at OC and now specifically, I've seen a real uptick in interest from VAC scheme students, for example, in this area. Um, and I think doubtless it's it's an area that you know, many people who are now many years younger than me have grown up with as a real issue and I think have got a deep set interest and passion for, which is, I would say, the almost the first prerequisite. If, you, if you've got a passion for this area, that's going to help you massively. I, I think that's true of every job you do, really. If you've got a passion for it, it makes getting up out in, in the mornings much more pleasant. And I think in terms of what you can do, if it's an area you are interested in, I think first maybe speak to someone who's an environmental lawyer to find out what they do do on a day-to-day basis because sometimes the kind of more bread and butter work so the due diligence type work I mentioned at the start that is a really important part of what I do and some people might actually not enjoy that part so much so maybe in practice it sounds great but it's not something they actually think would be for them but for whatever reason so I think it's a really good thing to actually understand what, what what we really do all day which is as I say some of that more bread and butter work as well as the more exciting innovative stuff I guess and then I think it's really important to to really um, understand what you're looking for and what a firm can offer on this um, in this area so I think I think it's fair to say Osborne Clark 
we are being quite innovative in our approach. I mean, we're not we're not unique, but I think the real focus we've got and the real pivoting, I guess, towards that the the 3D strategy, so decarbonisation, digitalisation, and urban dynamics, we're putting it out there that this is something which is a massive focus for us. So if it is an area you're interested in, I think. Osborne Clark, I would say this probably, but is, is a good example of a firm to look for. Other firms might talk about an environment team, but sometimes in the, in the smaller or sometimes more regional firms, the, there isn't a dedicated environment team. They might stick with planning um, or there might be planning lawyers who have an environmental specialism or real estate lawyers with an environmental specialism. So I think it's really important as well. Sometimes it can be hard, but to try and get under the skin of what, what the environment team at a particular firm you're interested in actually it consists of and perhaps perhaps that's what you want perhaps you you want a planning and environment kind of focus but I think just to try and understand what type of work they do and maybe also look at their clients because if you if you have a passion for it and you really don't want to find yourself working for and and representing a, a company you wouldn't like to represent so maybe a big oil and gas company then maybe try and avoid that type of a firm as well so I think it's a question of research and then it being being aware of the key news stories but I think that's so easy because you just turn on the news mm. and it is everywhere <laughs> and it is everywhere That about wraps it up for this episode. A huge thank you to Caroline for taking the time to speak with me and I hope this inspired all of you to find out more about this growing and exciting practice area. Don't forget to head to Law Careers Net for all the information you need about becoming a lawyer. And also, I look forward to receiving your applications to Law Careers Net Live. You have until the 28th of October. That's it for this month. Thanks for listening. <laughs>